It's April 27th, 2019, and this is episode number six of It Started in Hendricksville, stories by Jerry Abram. All right, well, good morning, Dad. How are you today? Just fine. Very good. Mom, how are you doing today? Fine. Good. Good to see you. Well, it is going to rain in a few minutes, but we're going to go uh, see if we can find some mushrooms. And uh, how many mushrooms have you found this year so far? Uh, we went that one time, uh, found none, and then later we went into a different area and we did find 75. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and how many meals will that make you? Uh, probably five. Yeah, that's not bad. So, yeah, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So, um, so Dad, last week we made it a long ways through your jobs and got all the way up to you meeting Mom and uh, getting to know her brothers and doing some carpentry work. And at that point, um, to me, the way I'd say it is, you kind of began the transition from working for people to kind of being a little more of an entrepreneur and you got into your own work. And so you became your own carpenter, building your own houses. I assume you had to get loans from banks oh, yeah. and things like that. And mm -hmm. you, you know, that side of the business you had to start learning. Um, and so we're gonna dig into the rest of that and kind of follow out the rest of the jobs you did. But before we get into that, uh, um, Nat had said he wanted to hear you tell a little bit about how phone lines worked uh, when phone lines first came in and a thing called the party line. So can you tell us a little bit about that and anything interesting about how that worked or didn't work? <laughs> yeah, well, when I was a child at home in Greene County, uh, they had just nothing but the party lines with the old uh, crank phones. They did not have a dial on them. Okay, so there was no dial, there was no push button, no nothing push with a number. Button, no dial, no anything. Now, did they, were these like like you see in old movies where there was a, a, a listening piece that you picked up and put to your ear, and then the part you talked into was actually mounted on the That's wall? correct. Yeah. In a big wood box. Okay, yeah, just like and, you see. Uh, that had a crank on the side of it, and when you turned that crank, it sent a message, or at least sent electricity into the line. It created its own electricity, uh -huh. and they would... <laughs> The way they knew who they was calling, like one person might have their dial to dial them would be a long ring and a short and a long ring. Okay. Then maybe the next one would be three long rings to get somebody else. Okay, so, so let's say I'm, I'm at my house and I'm wanting to call you and you're, let's say, three short rings. So I do, I pick this up, I do three short rings, and what happens? Well, then... Whoever was it rung every phone on the line. No way. Yes, it rung every phone on the on line. On the party line. Yes. So everybody that was connected together in that area. Yeah, the whole area. Well, sir, no, I didn't know and, that. Uh, since there wasn't any newspapers there, <laughs> everybody in the, uh, everywhere picked it up to see what you were saying. Oh. Well, with that type of situation, they'd keep picking up to hear you until the line would get so weak. For lack of <laughs> so many people listening, it would get so weak you could hardly hear. Oh, that is exciting. So the closest phone that we had to us was at Dad's sister Vivian's house in okay. Hendricksville. 
So if we had to have a phone for something, even to call a doctor or whatever, we had to go to Hendricksville to get okay. to that phone and uh, would go in her house and could call. So, so she was right in downtown Hendricksville. Now, did she have a phone because maybe she had a little more money to buy it, or was it just that it just happened to go by her house, the lines? That was the only place there was a line with Okay. Her. Yeah, there was no lines over at our place. But uh, then uh, at her house, like if you need to call a doctor or something in Bloomington, you would ring a real long ring. Mm -hmm. And an operator would answer you. Oh, I, so I was going to ask. I, had, I figured there had to be an operator somewhere in this okay, system. Okay, so. then you okay. would tell this operator who you needed. Then uh, she had a big board in front of her with plugs all over it, and she could plug into whoever you needed, and they would answer their phone, then you could talk to them. And so on this party line, I'm assuming there might have been 10 or 20 or 30 people all on this party line. If somebody's using it, then no one else could use it at that point. I mean, it, I mean, in other words, it's tied up until right, they get tied done. up, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. But it was quite a deal because... So did, did you know anybody that spent a lot of time through the day picking up and just listening to people? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit nosy? Yeah. <laughs> I remember Dad one time, we had a neighbor down there that just run to the phone every time it rang, and Dad was making a call. <laughs> He, it was, you could tell they had picked up the phone. Uh -huh. He knew they were on. Yeah. yeah, so he said, directly, he said, this line's getting so weak and called him by name. He said, would you hang up? And they did, click. <laughs> oh, so that's funny. It was, you know, it was just, it was a zoo is what it was. So, so when did the phone line finally come into your house there um, at your grandparents' house? Before, oh. you, before you built the new house? Did they have a phone or was oh, it? Oh, yeah. I assume yeah. so. We okay. had a phone in the old house and when the line finally came on up yeah. through there. Okay. But of course the lines were up in the air then. There was no underground or anything. Okay. They right. were all up on poles. Right. But uh, I can't remember what year that was, but it would have been up when I was probably at least in grade school, maybe possibly near high school. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Well, let's switch gears now and get back into your your work history. So, um, as you're kind of wrapping up being a carpenter, at some point in there, you bought yourself a bulldozer and went into doing excavating work. Mm -hmm. So, how did that happen? Was it a good deal, or did you had you decided it was something you wanted to do, or what? How did that get going? Well, for the most part of my life, I really enjoyed equipment. Okay. Tractors or whatever, and really wanted to get into dozer work and do an excavating. So I had built two houses uh, for two state troopers that had okay. moved into the area. On, on Trooper Lane. On Trooper uh -huh. Lane. And out of the money of those houses, I bought my first dozer. Okay. So it was a used one you found someplace? Oh, yes, it was used. I bought that and a trailer that I could haul it on, and then I did purchase a new dump truck at okay. that time. Okay, a little single-axle? Yeah, a little single-axle mm -hmm. yeah. GMC. And uh, that's where we started out, and I had a backhoe that mounted on this. Uh, it was actually, I have to call it a dozer, but it was a front loader. I had a bucket uh -huh. on the front. And then this uh, backhoe mounted onto the back of that. Now, was Randy doing anything with you at that point, or were you pretty much by yourself? No, still? I was by myself okay. at that point, yeah. And then once Randy got out of high school, then 
I bought a rubber tired backhoe and put it was just a tractor and front loader and then I put this backhoe on the back of it and put Randy on it and I put balance weights on my dozer so each of us at that time had a piece of equipment okay. that we could work with and then we started doing footers. And, and did you actually call yourselves Abram Brothers starting right then or when did you decide to, to name the company Abram Brothers? Well, I can't answer that for sure. I mean, once you bought the place in Ellettsville, I know it was for sure Abram Brothers. Well, yeah, hand. definitely there. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was when we formed a corporation. And, okay. And Randy was bought into the corporation. Okay. Okay. So, so that's yeah. where it... Yeah, so, so go on and tell us about how how Abram Brothers started in Ellettsville then. Okay, then... Uh, it was in like the early 70s. I wrote down here around 1973, but I don't know if that's right or not. Yeah, but, you're probably close. Yeah. But anyway... Uh, Robert Kale owned Kale Excavating, mm -hmm. and uh, Robert passed away with uh, cancer. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. So it left his widow with uh, this business, and there was a couple of guys that operated for him. It was very reliable, good people. It was uh, Bill, yeah. Bill Hopkins and uh -huh. Earl Camel. Okay. And they yeah. were both there and worked for Shorty, so... So Buck Walters was not there when you bought the business. No. Okay. And I didn't he know come that. in later. But anyway, uh, this came up for sale, and uh, through Bus May, that was part of that, and Luella Kale, which was Shorty's wife, uh -huh. widow, uh, they wanted somebody young to have that business, and hmm. so they come to us and help set it so I could buy it. Uh, they was prominent in the bank there. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that they, they actually, you didn't seek them out. They actually came to you. Yeah, well, yeah they was, did. That says but, a lot. So. Uh, but they knew Virginia, my oldest sister, and yeah, knew the uh -huh. family and like that. I didn't so, know that's how that all so worked. So that's where it all came about, and then that's from there is where we went into excavating and stayed there until we sold that company. Okay. Yeah, so, and while you were there, you did some really neat jobs. So tell a little bit about um, the jobs at IU, and in particular, the little 500 track. Yeah, we graded the, made the little 500 track up there. Um, they used to run down where the old stadium was, on the south side of 10th Street. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they built this new stadium, and... We done all the dirt work and built the track. So yeah. down there at Tenth Street, I remember going and watching fireworks right before that stadium got taken out. Yeah. And so, did you would would that have been in the same time that you were building the new track? I mean, did, did they switch from that track to the new track? Yeah, I think so. Straight I away, so that all happened kind of about mm -hmm. the same time. Yeah. Okay. But uh, anyhow, uh, we got that. That was a nice job for us. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we done very well with it, and then we done a lot of work after that for IU. I know you built multiple soccer fields and, yeah. and softball fields and baseball fields and things mm -hmm. like that. We built all that area up. It's all changed now to different things, but we built up the whole area behind where the state police post yep. was up there. There's now, uh, those were soccer fields there that you built? I built uh, four uh, baseball fields. Okay and two soccer fields is what we put in okay. there yeah and uh, I, we couldn't shoot that there was a lot of rock involved we could not blast that rock because of the danger with uh, electric blasting caps there by the microwave tower for the state police uh-huh 
and uh, it was so strong their tower was that they were afraid that it would set our caps off uh -huh. and get somebody hurt so we had to we, all of our shooting we had to do with powder fuse yep. and I remember it well uh -huh. I remember going there and watching you guys uh, blow that up that was really interesting yeah. so. but anyway it was an interesting was that time. limestone you were into yeah, there yeah mm -hmm. limestone but uh, that was another good job that helped us to get to where we finally got to with the excavating and so tell, tell me about, you ended up going to Italy in the middle of all of this. Tell me a little bit about how that happened. Okay. The deal, uh, that was when Fiat mm -hmm. Motor Company and Alice Chalmers, they merged, mm -hmm. went together, and started building Fiat Alice Dozers. Okay, they was trying so hard to promote this that they set up a deal where that you could take you could get a district representative, could take three contractors with him from his area, and they would pay for a trip to Italy to the plant where they're building these. Uh huh. We went to the plant, we watched them being built from the rough metal coming in on the railroad cars till the dozers were out on oh, the wow. job. Yeah, that was. And uh, that was very interesting. Oh, and I we bet. even got, we tried to run the dozers, but the, those little. Italians, they had made them for them, and uh, us guys like me and Rick Rector and Bob Kreider, all of us, none of us could get down in the compartment. It was so little where the operator sat. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but they finally did, they arranged a couple there so we could run them for a little while while huh, we were there, okay. but, but it was a very interesting trip. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay, so, so we don't, again, know exactly, but somewhere in the early 80s, um, I know the economy was tough, and it was hard to find good work. Um, and I remember that um, one thing that you you stood strong on was that you weren't going to reduce your quality just to get a job. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was difficult to get jobs and do good quality work. Um, and so um, Rogers or uh, Rick Rector, that at that time I think owned or at least was the, the yeah, you know, operator, Ralph right Rogers, on. came to you and made you a deal. So mm -hmm. what happened there? So he come over and uh, said that he would uh, buy me out, buy the building, the grounds, and all the equipment. If I would go to work for him, his main superintendent that he had for the dirt work had passed away with cancer, Bob oh, okay. Rampley. And he said if I would come and do uh, mainly two jobs for him, that he would buy me out. and. Uh, so we set up a deal what he would pay me and also what he would pay me for the equipment and the building and uh -huh. all that. And um, at that time, what had happened, we was running a union shop. Uh, all of the contractors we were bidding against for the size we were was all non-union. Mm -hmm. So they was paying their operators five dollars an hour, and I was paying mine fifteen. And yeah, it was just, just too work. hard. You just wouldn't work. So anyway, we had to get out of it, and uh, the union wouldn't let me out of the contract. I was in it for three years, so we just sold out to get out of it. And then I went to work for uh, Rogers, and we the first job that I had for Rogers, uh, we laid the big steam line. Uh, from the well, I guess it's the school of music just north of the of the auditorium out yeah, there. Yeah, uh -huh. we started right there and come right down past the auditorium, 
and right down through the campus and all the way around past the little church out there. Mm -hmm. Is that? Uh, yeah, I know the name. I know the church. Anyway, and uh, into that other big building, which is the Commons, they call it. Mm -hmm. And that's where we run the steam line to. And I was superintendent over that for Rogers. When that was laid, we had to dig the ditch. Weddell Brothers came in and poured the concrete and made a concrete. Uh, tunnel mm -hmm. all the way through. Then laid the steam lines inside that tunnel. Yeah, and uh, they done all the uh, welding and all the work to get them in there, and then tamped them in with gravel. Of course, I had to supply the gravel and keep the ditches open and backfill them and do all that. We had to stay right there all the time, and all the dirt we dug out had to be hauled away. So we dug that with a big uh, track hole and loaded loaded onto uh, triaxles mm -hmm. and hauled it out of there. And it was quite a lengthy job. Yeah. It went real well, worked out good. And then when that was finished, that's when Rogers sold their equipment. Yep, so then they sold and you went to work for Weddell Brothers. Mm -hmm. And I only remember one big job and that was a huge bridge job you did way over beyond Spencer someplace. Yeah, that's where we were working when uh, they got rid of me. Uh-huh. But uh, before that, we had built underneath the uh, football stadium. A lot of people don't even know that there's a big amphitheater under there. Oh, I didn't <laughs> remember that, but now I do remember yeah. that. Okay. And yeah. what we had to do, those posts that, that were set on, on the limestone, mm -hmm. we had to go in there and take the dirt all off of the limestone. Then where those posts were, we had to drill that and then go in there with a rock splitter. We couldn't shoot, see. Mm -hmm. So we had what we call rock splitters. It was quite a uh, deal, the way they made those. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, it was wedges and slips, they called it. Uh, all run automatic. Oh, I forgot of... all about that. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. And uh, I cut out under those posts that uh, had that, cut the stone out to get down to the uh, actual grade <clears throat> where they, <clears throat> excuse me, where they poured the concrete and made the amphitheater under there. and. Uh, two or three classrooms, several things went in there. And uh, that was where I finished up then with Weddell Brothers. And okay. Well, and I remember one day you, um, and I don't you know, I think now that we, we didn't have cell phones, so I don't remember how you called us, but you went somewhere and you called us and you said, hey, make sure you go watch the news. We had a cave-in over here. A guy got buried and you helped dig him out and all this kind of stuff and then I think a helicopter maybe came and got him or something I don't remember no, what all we, happened we put him on a, a ambulance put him okay and took him maybe I'm thinking the new maybe it was a news helicopter flew yeah. in to to video yeah maybe that that's was what, what it was, was but, uh, uh, but yeah, him. tell me what happened with that well uh, they was working at right where the abutments for to set the bridge on mm -hmm. was working was this down bridge over a, a river or a creek it was over a creek uh -huh. yeah but uh, it was just uh, south of I-70. Okay. On Highway 40 there. Okay. And uh, it was just almost straight south of Brazil. But anyway, uh, this guy had caved in on him and we got into where he could breathe and got air to him and then dug him out by hand because we're afraid to bring a machine in, afraid it might cause another cave in. But when you got there, he was, you couldn't even see. Well, yeah, you could see his, his arm. Oh, okay. So All you right. knew where he was. But anyhow, we got him out of there and took him to uh, 
Brazil to the hospital, and I went, of course, right up with him. And they started checking him out, and he wasn't broke up or anything like that. He just had been without air for a little while. But, yeah, but he recovered and was yeah. okay over that. Well, that's uh, good. It was. So another thing along in this time, and this actually was more back with the Abram brothers, is that winters would get slow, and sometimes you'd be looking for stuff to fill in time, and you got involved in the funeral business for a little while. Yeah, just uh, GL had uh -huh. asked me to help him uh, do some different things, you mm -hmm. know. But uh, yes, that was very interesting. Uh, I'll tell you one story that I thought was real interesting. Yeah. Uh, I picked up a lot of uh, bodies at the hospital, at the morgue. I also took uh, several bodies to Indianapolis because at that time there was no crematoriums in the area here. Really? Okay. So uh, we up on 82nd Street was where they had all of their uh, all of their people that went to the cremation. Uh -huh. I had to take them up there, and I had uh, loaded a body after the funeral was over and the family had left. We loaded the body in the hearse and I headed north with it. And it was noon, so I stopped at the McDonald's at uh, Martinsville. Okay. So I took it through the drive-in. That hearse came through, see, with the drive-in. Pulled up to the window after it made my order. Of course, they didn't know who was ordering. I pulled up the window, and that hearse, this lady in there, got a real funny look on her face. And she said, uh, could I help you? That was when you didn't order over the... Yeah, right you on. ordered face-to-face. -face. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. can I help you? I said, yeah. And I told her what I wanted for my lunch. And I said, the guy in the back said he didn't want anything. And she leaned out the window and looked and seen that that was a hearse. Uh -huh. And she went nuts. <laughs> 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 but it was just one of them opportunities. Yeah. You know, it was an opportune time. You couldn't turn it down. <laughs> but anyway. Well, good. Well, so then after Weddell Brothers, you went back, uh, that, I guess, the, the entre entrepreneurial side of you, you went, decided to go back and start up another business and do Abram grading and seeding. Yes. And you actually ended up doing that, I think, for maybe 20 years. I mean, it was a long time you did that. Several. Um, I can't really tell how. Tell you yeah, I, I, I wrote it down someplace, and I don't have it in front of me here, but it was, it was I think it was longer than Abram Brothers um, that you did that. So Possibly. And, um, could have been, so yeah. tell me a little bit about how that was to go from big business with backhoes and bulldozers, and then you went into a much smaller business where you yeah. just used a small tractor and a lot of hand tools. Well, uh, your smaller equipment, uh, repairs and stuff on it was... A uh, way less yeah. than repairs on the big stuff, and that was a plus. And uh, I didn't have to have as many uh, employees. In fact, my wife Marie worked with me for several years. Best help I ever had. Yeah. And even my boys helped me some. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what put me through high through most of my college. Yeah. So, you, so. Uh, Gwen worked a lot with us, but uh, overall, well, for instance. I got hooked in with some uh, building contractors and was putting the yards in all of their new homes. And uh, the Arrowhead subdivision over here at Ellettsville, mm -hmm. I finally got my records out and checked it out and I put 172 yards in in that oh, one subdivision. That's a lot. And uh, Kevin Burke pulled the straw on uh -huh. for us. And, uh, you had a lot of people work for you. Kevin worked for you, um, Wally? 
Yeah, a little bit. Uh-huh. Wally, a little bit. Wally, yeah. Wally told me about that. He yeah. still he still has yeah. good memories about that. And Wally Sway. Tom Eddington. He was. Yeah, Tom Eddington. A little bit. With of course, Greg Chitwood. Yeah, a Greg bit. helped mm-hmm. me. In. Yeah. So, but anyhow, a lot of we, people over the years. We done real well. Uh, of course, <clears throat> my hindsight's a lot better than my foresight. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if I had known what I know now, if I'd have went instead of buying into the big equipment when mm-hmm. I bought kale. If I'd have went into the grading and seeding business, I'd have come out a lot better mm-hmm. shape financially than what I did. I, watching you, I always thought you, you enjoyed the big business, but I think at the end of the day, you seemed like you really enjoyed that grading and seeding oh, business. Oh, yeah. It just, it just was a good fit for you. Well, so. it was rewarding uh-huh. to make a, take a place just dirt stacked everywhere and, and stuff and trash yeah. and all that, and you clean that up and grade all that out real pretty. Put the seed and fertilize on it, and then cover that up with straw. It was pretty, and it was normally uh, a one-day yeah. deal. Yeah. You'd go in in the morning, and it didn't look very good, and you left it at the end of the day, and it looked nice. Yeah, so, had the straw yeah. on it, and it was ready to grow. So along the way, and there again, you're still winter times are slow, and you got, and I don't know how this ever happened, but you got hooked up with Star of Indiana and started driving buses. Yeah, well, uh, my cousin Ever Charlie was. Uh, he was more or less over the bus part of it for Bill Cook, and uh, someone had told me, said, you know, you ought to check with them sometime, and may have been Everett, said, if you'll come up there, said, uh, if you want to do it, I, I can get you on with the bus company, and I did, and he got me hooked up with him, and I started driving for them, and I drove for them for 13 years. Oh, wow, I didn't know it was that yeah. long. Yeah. But also, I drove for them part-time and could still work on the yard. See, it was all doubled up. For and and you did, you drove as a, just as a driver for different people that would rent things. You also went on tours with the Star of Indiana Drum and Bugle Corps, didn't you, a little bit? Yeah. Uh, occasionally, what we would do, uh, our regular drivers that we called us, that drove for charters here, uh-huh. when the... Uh, Drum and Bugle Corps was on tour. If they had two uh, shows close together in time, but far apart in distance, mm-hmm. uh, Bill would fly us on a, one of his Lear jets mm-hmm. to wherever they were, and we would put double drivers on everything and drive nonstop okay. between the two points. And at that time, I didn't drive a bus. I drove the big 18-wheeler, the big Peterbilt that pulled oh, really? the kitchen. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, we doubled on that. It had a sleeper, and I doubled with my cousin Everett on that. Oh, that was fun. And yeah. uh, that worked out good. Part of the time, it was during a time that, where Gail had been, uh, uh, They when they... Pick Gail up and hid with her. You so, know. so, so let, yeah, let's step back here. So you said Bill a minute ago. You mean Bill Cook, the amazingly yeah. wealthy um, philanthropist, they call him, yeah. here in town that owned Cook Incorporated. And in the middle of all this, his wife got kidnapped. Yeah, she um, was kidnapped. And, uh, and so. then when he was so fearful that it would happen again, mm-hmm. uh, part of the time I didn't get a lot of rest because I'd drive my set of driving in the 18-wheeler. Mm-hmm. And then he would have me go and get in the big uh, Lincoln townhouse car that they had and drive her. I would take her with me. And uh, we would go with the convoy, but he just didn't want her by herself, see. And, and I remember one time you guys went somewhere, uh, maybe up in Canada, 
and you guys wanted some ice cream, and Bill tried to go get ice cream, and there was a little bit of a problem. What happened there? Well, um, the drivers all, uh, we had a van that traveled with us uh -huh. to begin with. The drivers all got in this van and went to a Dairy Queen there in this little town up in, I can't remember where it was at in Canada, but anyway, when we went in there, standing there talking about what we was going to order, the guy that running the Dairy Queen hear us talking, and he said, do you folks have American currency? And we said, yeah. And he said, we cannot take American currency here. So there we stood, hot weather, really hot, and we was wanting some ice cream and just wanting something to and do. And Bill was there with you? No. Oh, okay. Oh. No, Bill was well, not with us. Okay. But anyway, we just got in the van and went back home. I don't know how the word got to Bill. He was there. I mean, we went back to where we was at. Uh-huh. So uh, in a little bit, I seen the van come in again. Uh, someone else had left in it, come back in. Bill was driving. He got out, and he come down through there, and he said, Jerry, where's Lena, which was the head of the kitchen, uh-huh, and uh, done all the cooking for him. And I said, well, last time I seen her, she was in the kitchen uh, working in there, uh, cleaning up some stuff. And he said, okay, and went on by. Well, in a little bit, he come back through, you know, just waved as he went by, walking fast as he could, and went back up and got something else and left, left the van there. A little bit, here come Lena up through there. Said, come on, Jerry, gather these drivers up. We're going to Dairy Queen. And I said, I'm going to try it again. And she said, she held this bag up like that. And uh -huh. It was a plastic bag, and it was full of something. I couldn't tell what it was. Well, it was money. So Bill had heard about this, so he went to the wherever you had to go to change your money, uh -huh. got this money, and come back and told Lena, said, go back up there and said, uh, if they still don't want to serve you, just buy the Dairy Queen and serve yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he meant it probably. He meant it just like that. <laughs> All uh, right, well, Dad, we're 30 minutes in, so we'll call it a week, and we'll uh, go uh, head into the woods here in a second and see if we can find some mushrooms. Sounds good to me.